Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. Good evening and welcome to Replay the Point. Today is June 28th, 2017. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen joined by Jared Pine of A Second Serb. Good evening, Jared. Good evening, Pete. Just a few days away from Wimbledon. How are you feeling as we get going? Yeah, absolutely. This is the time of year when I get up early anyway, and uh, obviously tennis is on just about at all times. So uh, getting ready, it's it's uh, it's it's outstanding. Doesn't even feel like there's an extra week in the in the tennis year now. We're just taking it in stride, and here we are. Absolutely right. Uh, next Monday we will have Wimbledon 2017 underway. But uh, before that, Jared, some. Uh, Interesting matchups uh, over the weekend uh, in both Halla and Queens. We're going to start with Halla, where Roger Federer, who owns that tournament, uh, won his ninth tournament in Halla. Uh, sort of a surprising scoreline in the final, uh, just destroying Alexander Zverev, whom he lost to in the semifinal last year in under an hour. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that you know just a couple of weeks ago he's losing to tournament director Tommy Haas, and now as tournament owner. He's winning, and uh, a huge win for him over Alexander Zverev. He just looks so good in that match. You see the variety that Federer has, especially in comparison to Zverev, and just what a huge weapon that is to have that kind of variety on grass. And, yeah, it was a dominating performance in the end and a great way to pick up his ninth title all-time at Halla. Yep, won the first seven points of the match and first five games before Zverev finally got on the board and only faced one break point that was in the second set, and shrugged that off with an ace and, and ended up winning that game. So uh, very impressive. Zverev's got to be happy, though, with uh, with his continued progress. Maybe not so much in the end result in the final, but, uh, again, he's having himself a very nice 2017, obviously, with the win on clay uh, in, in Rome and then, obviously, here in reaching the final in his nation of Germany. And a couple other guys want to talk about uh, Kareem Kachanov, the young Russian who will be seated now at Wimbledon, Jared, uh, reached the semifinal, uh, had a little bit of a, a hiccup against Rublev uh, trying to win that match, but uh, competed exceptionally well, I thought, against Federer in the semi. Yeah, absolutely. The draw opened up for him a little bit, and I, I think he took full advantage after he got that retirement from Nishikori, and a great job for him to make a run into the semifinals. And just the way his game stacks up, he has a great serve, some great power off the ground strokes I think he his game is really suited well for the grass and so yeah not surprised to see him being able to reach a semifinal at this event so uh, this is a great progress for him um, yeah really exciting to see him into a semifinal and also put up a good fight against Roger Federer I think Roger Federer had a tough time returning his serves those were two really tight sets and uh, mm-hmm. just shows the level of competitiveness that competitiveness that Kareem has yeah, that was a nice uh, prep uh, match, if you will, for Federer, uh, not only for the final, but also on, on the grass courts, playing an opponent like that. A uh, little bit of unfamiliarity, but uh, really enough pace that uh, Fed could work with. 
uh, on, the, on the quick grass courts, and uh, absolutely the draw opened up, took advantage, as you mentioned. And uh, I was really looking forward to that anticipated match uh, that he was going to have with Nishikori. Obviously, that one ended really before it started. And, and Jared, I, I mean, broken record, Groundhog Day, call it what you want, Kane Nishikori, either a walkover or retirement. And this, this one kind of jumped out at me the third year in a row in Hala, and I believe, uh, you know, five consecutive grass court tournaments he has retired. I, it, it's a sad story for Kane Nishikori. Yeah, I mean, you got to wonder if by the end of his career he's going to break some kind of a record for most retirements and withdrawals. Um, it, it's really disappointing what's been happening with Kane Nishikori. The situation has not gotten any better, um, and it just seems like this is going to be par for the course for the foreseeable future with Kane Nishikori. Um, if he's able to turn this around, it'd be one of the great turnarounds in tennis. I think a lot of people talk about with Djokovic. He did have quite a bit of retirements early in his career, switched to the gluten-free diet, and then all of a sudden, not anymore. Um, mm-hmm. For Kane and Shikori, though, it seem, that seems so far from a possibility right now. Yeah, and obviously with a major, you've got to win seven best of fives. He, he got close, close enough. He had a very nice U.S. Open the year he got to the final. But, you know, in my opinion, and uh, I think you and I both wrote, wrote write-ups uh, on, on Ricky's site for that final, and I think everybody uh, picked uh, Chilich to, to beat Nishikori for the fact that uh, Kane Nishikori, although he looked good, he was out of gas, and Marin Chilich was playing unbelievable tennis. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But, uh, you know, the, the parallel, the analogy, if you will, with Nishikori, again, trying to win a major is – you got to win seven best of fives, and it's almost like what we take a look at with Milos Raonic. Same thing, uh, a, a big guy. Could he? Can he maintain it? Well, sure, he, he can be a wrecking ball in the early rounds, maybe even deep. Uh, was a finalist last year, but you know these big guys. And there was talk about him maybe being number one in the world, and I I just didn't see that at all. Uh, I still have him down for a major or two, both at Wimbledon. But wow, uh, these are big asks for. Uh, winning seven best of fives, and uh, Nishikori, perhaps that window is closed, although I still look back at how he was absolutely dominating Rafael Nadal on clay in Madrid a couple of years ago, Jared. That's what this guy's capable of, but not if the body's not going to work with him. Yeah, I mean, that was more than a couple of years ago now. I think that's been three, four years. So, um, yeah, Nishikori just has not been able to rectify the situation, just hasn't gotten any better. Um, but he is still a great tennis player. We've seen him into a Grand Slam final in 2014 at the U.S. Open. Um, you know, he's done some great stuff at the Grand Slam, so we know what he's capable of. It's just a matter of finishing it. Um, if you can beat Novak Djokovic on a hard court in 2014, you can do pretty much anything. Um, and so yep. for Kane Shikori, a lot of it's just a, a physical question mark. Yeah, and uh, before we switch over from the 500 in Germany over to Queens, anything else that caught your eye in Halle? Yeah, um, Florian Meyer reaching the quarterfinal. Um, great to always see him doing well. Uh, I think he, we're both big fans of Florian Meyer, yep. and particularly on grass is where he's the most fun to watch. So him playing on his home in his home country, getting a couple wins, and then taking on Roger Federer, um, I think that was great for the tournament. And he's always a huge boost wherever he goes to fan attendance. True. Uh, absolutely right. And uh, we're going to shift gears to the other 500, Jared, Queens Club in London. Uh, Feliciano Lopez against Marin Cilic maybe, you know, took second bill uh, to the Federer-Zverev match, but uh, obviously was the match, if you will. Um, Feliciano Lopez uh, backs up a final 
the week before and, and wins this time. An incredible performance in, in three-setter uh, in beating Marin Cilic. Karen Health, whom I do a show with, uh, was at uh, Queens all week. She's at Eastbourne this week, and she said that's the best final she has seen in 2017. And, you know, you look at the scoreline of, of that, and uh, how can you argue? Absolutely. And I asked her, I said, you know, were, were both guys feeling like they could be, uh, you know, a possible contender at Wimbledon? And she said, yeah, not only did they feel that way, most of the press felt that way as well. So nice to see uh, Lopez get the job done and, and, again, continued progress for Tillich. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great efforts by by both guys. But I mean, for Feliciano Lopez, I thought it was just fitting, kind of the way he won it. What we were all talking about when the tournament started was all the top three seeds were out. He was one of the three guys to take out a top seed. He beat Stan Wawrinka, and then you look at his path from there. He had had to take out Jeremy Shardy, a veteran, accomplished player. Then took out Tomas Burdich. Uh, also took out Grigor Dimitrov, who was who I picked originally to be in the final from the bottom half. And then in the final, comes back from down a set, wins two tiebreakers. The third set tiebreaker, he wins it 10-8. to eight. Um, So you can't get much more of a dramatic match than that. A great way to finish it for Feliciano Lopez. Um, just incredible the, the names of guys that he had to go through, particularly on grass to beat those guys um, at Feliciano's age and to finally win this title, a tournament that he's done well at year after year after year. Um, and now he finally wins the title. So very fitting end to a, a great tournament, one of the most exciting tournaments we've had this year outside of the majors and the 1,000s. Yeah, and a lot of big names in tennis have won this tournament in the past, so he's going to be exceptionally proud of the fact that he's going to add his name to that list. I mean, Sampras won it a number of times as well. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's some legends that have, have won this tournament. And, um Jared, uh, he's been on tour for quite a while. This is going to mark his 62nd consecutive major that Feliciano Lopez is competing in. Uh, I don't know if everybody is aware of that, but, uh, you know, obviously a lot of stamina to uh, and good health to be able to pull that off, and he does. He usually does quite well in majors as well. Yeah, I, I remember not really realizing it, but when he got up to 50, that really caught my attention. Like, wow, Feliciano Lopez has been doing this for a long time without missing mm-hmm. any majors and kind of after he got to fifties, when I started paying attention, like, okay, how long can Feliciano Lopez do that? So yeah, he's up to 64 now. Um, it's just incredible what he's been able to do in his career in terms of consistency, keep himself healthy, kind of the, the opposite of Nishikori who we were just talking about um, Lopez doing a great job in that respect. And, um, you know, he's passing up some of the legends in terms of number of majors played right now. Yep. Good call. And, um, I want to switch gears again, talk a little bit more about Marin Cilic, Jared, uh, the guy who beat Nishikori in the U.S. Open final. And, and again, last year uh, in Cincinnati, he won that tournament, and he, he played unbelievable tennis. In fact, I was watching one of his matches on grandstand court, and the, it was just such pure ball striking. And uh, still, I think he only won the 6-4. It may have been against Cole Schreiber. And I asked him in press, I said, y- you looked absolutely flawless Every stroke you hit was was masterful. I said, do, you know, did you feel as 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 if it looked when when I was watching? I mean, were you feeling it out there? And he paused for a second, nodded his head, and he said, Yeah, I I was probably playing the best tennis of my career during that set. So it was incredible to see. Obviously, that was probably mid midway through the tournament. He ended up winning it. Um, and uh, I'll 
phrase the question to you that uh, he was asked in press. You know, do you do you think he could be a threat to, at Wimbledon uh, with how he looked at Queens? And you know, he's got that serve clicking. I, I go back to when Federer beat Roddick in that marathon fifth set. I think it was in 2009, and you know, Roddick was just effortless in, in holding serve, and you know, Federer had to eventually at some point break him in the fifth set to win that match, and. You know what? If Marin Cilic is in a position like that, he's pretty much unbreakable. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, he's very dangerous at Wimbledon, particularly when you do get to that fifth set, as you mentioned. Um, you know, we talked about this last week, how wide open Wimbledon is. I think this week, I feel like it's a little bit less wide open. Federer has made himself a little bit more of a favorite. He's kind of identified himself as someone who's going to be a contender for the title. Um, I think maybe there was a little more doubts this time last week after he had the loss the week before to Tommy Haas. Um, but now Federer looking a little bit like a favorite, but still I think it's very wide open and Chilich is definitely one of those guys. Do you think, you know, okay, he could definitely win the title. Um, he's a great player on grass, um, very good serve. He can get himself in the tie breaks. And once he gets there, uh, he's a very tough player to beat. So Chilich, Right now, I'm looking at him as probably one of the top five contenders for the title at this point. Um, he played some great tennis this week, and we know he's capable of it because, as you mentioned, the 2014 U.S. Open final where he beat Kane Shikori. So he's already got a grand slam under his belt, so he can definitely do it again. Yeah, and want to uh, just a nice segue from Chilich into someone that he beat. Uh, Gilles Mueller won a tournament. Uh, over last weekend, Jared, and again, his winning streak on grass was, was snapped none other than, than by Chilich, who, again, was playing exceptionally well. So, uh, Gilles Mueller, uh, who, again, long time on tour, won the first career title earlier in his career in Sydney this year and backed it up with a win uh, on grass this year as well. So, you know, long time, mid, mid-30s, hadn't won a title, uh, been to some finals, and he's got two this year. He's feeling good about himself, and again, no shame in losing to Chilich on, on grass, and all of a sudden, he's got to feel very good about his chances and, and what he might be able to do at Wimbledon as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't put him in the, in the conversation for winning the title, but certainly making a run to the second week's a possibility if he can get a good draw. Um, a lot of the guys aren't going to want to see his name next to theirs early in the tournament. I mean, if he draws one of the top seeds in the first few rounds, uh, I could definitely see him pulling off a big upset early on. So he's very talented on grass, and, uh, yeah, he could make a run to the quarterfinals for sure. Yeah, and we talked about this last week as the results had just happened. Uh, the top three seeds, Jared, Murray, Varinka, Raonic, uh, didn't win a match, didn't win a set. Um, let's take a look now. Andy Murray, obviously struggling quite a bit 2017. Uh, looked like he rebounded at Roland Garros, played well there, but, uh, you know, losing to Thompson. Stan, it was a tough, tough draw for Stan, in my opinion, playing Lopez, who just came off of the final and obviously won. And Milos, uh, I, I'm scratching my head over losing to Kokonakis here. I, I don't quite get that, but as we talked about, Milos uh, has not been on tour much, uh, changing coaches. But, uh, you know, we're talking now here about last year's champion, last year's finalist, and a guy who needs Wimbledon to complete the career Grand Slam. And those are some big names, some big accomplishments, and uh, they have not won a set on grass this year. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that crazy to think about right now? And uh, Milos Raonic, as you mentioned, that one really surprising. The loss to Kokonakis. Obviously, i got to give Kokonakis a lot of credit for the level of tennis 
he played. I'm going to be really curious to see how he does at Wimbledon, where he lands in the draw. Um, that'll be a fun one to watch. But Milos Raonic, you know, being a defending finalist, I think we we expected a lot more from him coming this time of year. And now we're really wondering, you know, is he going to be a threat to bow out early at Wimbledon? Um, or are we going to see him competing for the title again? It, it's really hard to know at this point. Um, certainly anything's possible with the way Milos Raonic plays tennis. Um, if it serves on, he's great. If it serves off, he's uh, very beatable. So, yeah, anything's possible with him. You kind of live by the serve, die by the serve if you're Milos Raonic right now. Yeah, big. What a what a change a year can make. Last year at this time, Jared he was working with John McEnroe, and uh, again wasn't able to get past Murray on a couple of occasions. Uh, I thought that would have paid dividends this year and going forward. Uh, I think like like what Stan Varinka is hoping uh, working with Anacone will do, not only for this year but maybe going forward and, and trying to get the job done there. But we'll talk about McEnroe a little bit uh, later today, but also in in subsequent weeks as well. But uh, anything else from the, the Queens Club? tournament uh, 500 uh, concluded on Sunday with Lopez winning. Yeah, Donald Young reached um, the quarterfinals, a good effort for him as an American took out Nick Kyrgios, who obviously had to retire, but then backed that mm-hmm. up with a nice win over Victor Troitsky, who's, who's been successful in his career in, on grass. Um, Donald Young's one of the, the rare Americans who struggles in small tournaments typically, <laughs> but then does well at the majors. So for most Americans, it's the opposite way around. So just the fact that Donald Young had a nice result going into a major um, makes me curious to see just how well he can do here. Um, we've seen him make runs at the U.S. Open. Uh, could he potentially make a run now at Wimbledon? I think that'd be a lot of fun to see. So um, he's going to be a player to keep an eye on as we head into Wimbledon now, I think. Yeah, good call. And a nice transition with Donald Young, Jared. We're going to move over from uh, last week's results into this week uh, is staying in the U.K. in Eastbourne, and Donald Young is the opponent of none other than number one seed and wild card Novak Djokovic at Eastbourne. This is a tournament that has been rocked with rain. The schedule's backed up. They're playing on eight different courts. Uh, it's a joint event, but uh, Djokovic, uh, again, good to see him in action. Got a win over Pospisil over a couple of days, and uh, yeah, with, with how Donald Young's playing and Maybe some still some uncertainties with Djokovic. Uh, can you see Young taking a set or not so much? Oh, it's certainly possible. I think um, you know Djokovic's mindset at this tournament is going to be a little bit different than typical mindset for him because this is the week before a Slam. He almost always takes this week off, uh, and now here he is playing an event that's kind of being destroyed by rain and there's huge scheduling issues. And you know he's going to be playing a third-round match on a Thursday. And, uh, you know, I think there's a chance that Jokers is going to be looking at his schedule, what he'd have to do to win the title, and thinking, mm-hmm. okay, going into Wimbledon, that's not really worth it. You know, I'm the number two seed at Wimbledon. And uh, I think his motivation at this match is going to be pretty low, whereas mm-hmm. Donald Young is going to be coming and just looking at it as a chance to take out uh, one of the best players in all of tennis right now. So um, certainly more than possible that Donald Young comes away with an upset in this one. Hard to believe. Uh, they've been on tour for a long time, Jared. They've met one time, and that was at the 2016 U.S. Open in the first round. Uh, Donald Young got the first set 6-4, and then Djokovic lost only four games the rest of the way. But pretty amazing, an 11, nearly an 11-year gap between uh, a couple of guys meeting meeting on tour. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially when you have these veteran guys, Djokovic, because he wins so much, plays a ton of matches. So everyone kind of gets an opportunity to face Djokovic sooner or later. Um, so yeah, that's a uh, surprising bit of coincidence that the two haven't really played each other that often. Obviously, uh, a difference in schedules as well. Um, they yep. only would really have the opportunity to play each other at the big events, but still, yeah, that's a surprising stat. Yeah, and uh, we'll just obviously Djokovic. We we know why he's playing the week before because he hadn't played uh, the the previous weeks. Did not play Hala Queens, but uh, we go back to the question: uh, Why somebody like a John Isner might be playing this week? He is. He's playing Lajovic of uh, Serbia tomorrow. Steve Johnson also in action and uh, uh, Monfils. But and, and I'm again. I we've talked about Isner playing Winston Salem, which I believe he's going to, and John Isner, who again. With all of his results, uh, some pretty good results in the 1000s, only has one quarterfinal in a major to his name. Uh, should John Isner be playing this week? Yeah, there's an interesting one. He he does get a first-round bye, which is nice. Um, so he does only have to play four matches maximum. Um, so I think he looks at this as a nice little warm-up for Wimbledon. Um, and, you know, another opportunity for him to keep his ranking up. As long as he keeps his ranking up, He's going to continue to get first-round buys in these tournaments, and so it's kind of a, a positive feedback because as long as he has the first-round buys, um, he's not going to have to work as hard. Um, he's not going to have to get there as early. So there's a lot of big benefits for these top seeds getting the first-round buys. Um, so yeah, and, uh, and then, yep. yep. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say second uh, second round match that jumps out at me is Misha Zverev against Bernie Tomic. Um, again, we talked a little bit about Bernie last week. Misha Zverev uh, ousted in Halle by champion Roger Federer. But this, you know, you you look at this, and uh, I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't be surprised by three tiebreakers or uh, or, or a double bagel, or, or obviously probably something in between. But with with these with these names, nothing would surprise me, Jared. Yeah, absolutely. This is an interesting matchup. Um, you know, when you talk about some of the most interesting forehands on tour, obviously you talk about Benoit Paire or uh, Ernest Golbis, but also these two got to be on there, Bernie Tomic and Misha Zverev. The way they strike the forehand is very interesting. They both play really flat, which makes grass tennis a lot of fun. So I think this could be a very interesting matchup if both are playing well. But as you mentioned, uh, a double bagel is certainly possible. Although I will say, if there is a double bagel, I'm guessing it's Misha Zverev double bageling Bernie Tomic, not yeah. the other way around. Yep, and uh, you know the clay court season, Jared, is just endless. There seems to be challengers played all over the place at any time, and um, I, my, you know, Pospisil. I give him a lot of credit going to Korea, winning a challenger, getting his ranking back up. But this one really makes no sense to me. Number one, there's a challenger, a clay court, a 43K Euro challenger being played in Milan, Italy this week on clay, the week before Wimbledon. And obviously clay clay court uh, challenger pops its head up. But uh, I looked at that draw. I'm really surprised that Tommy Robredo is in this draw, Jared. Uh, yeah, his ranking is a little bit north of 200. Uh, but whereas Pospisil played and won a one twenty five uh hundred and twenty five thousand dollar challenger, this one is forty three thousand euros. Tommy Robredo, the week before Wimbledon playing a clay challenger in Italy, I uh there there's some very serious issues wrong with this picture. Yeah, it's uh it's a very strange situation. Also, strange that the ATP continues to schedule it this way where you can play on your favorite surface on 
on the Challenger Tour and avoid your least favorite surface on on the ATP World Tour. Um, and, you know, it's just how it works out. You can't have, I guess, a, a Challenger se- season on grass at the same time as the clay, uh, as the grass season on the ATP. Um, and, yeah, that creates this possibility where a lot of the guys from Spain, Latin America, um, and different parts of Europe that just totally prefer the clay, um, and they're, they're not even going to try on the grass, which uh interesting decision there for Tommy Robedo for sure. Yep, and uh, Davis Cup in the news, the ITF, uh, you know, not too long ago, Jared, we, we saw where the format has changed, where singles is going to be best of three, which uh, I am not a fan of at all. And uh, today the ITF announces that uh, three-year deal, if you will, where the Davis Cup final will be matched up with the Fed Cup final, neutral site, Geneva, Switzerland. And uh, I don't know, I, I'm not a fan of the fact that best of five is, is going to be history. And now, you know, one nation will not have a chance to uh, something that they will have earned the right to host uh, a Davis Cup final and a Fed Cup final for that matter. Uh, that's not going to happen. And either their, their logic calling it, they want to, try and make this the fifth major that doesn't make any sense where uh you know not it's not an open tournament uh you've got uh you know only representatives from two nations and on the men's side two from the women's side i don't i don't know can't exactly fathom how and why they're calling it a major i just think this is wrong in every sense of the word yeah and, and if they want to make it like a major they're going in the wrong direction because the major is the one tournament that has five set tennis and now mm-hmm. they're going down to three um i i I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. What we love about Davis Cup is everyone talks about the Davis Cup atmosphere. You know, when you talk about an American playing at the U.S. Open on a certain court, and players always say, this felt like a Davis Cup atmosphere. You know, everything's compared to Davis Cup, you know, relatively how involved were the crowds, you know, from Wimbledon up to Davis Cup. And that's what we love about Davis Cup. And so when you go to a neutral site, you're killing that. Um, so they're killing everything we love about Davis Cup by going neutral site. I really hate that decision. And as a fan of tennis, I want more tennis, not less. So going down to three sets, I think, is, is killing it. Um, and we have no evidence. We've never heard a player say, or we don't have any kind of polling data of if Davis Cup went from five sets to three sets, would you be more likely to play as a player? Um, so there's a possibility right. that they've made this change in the attempt to get the Novak Djokovic's, Roger Federer's, Rafael Nadal's to play Davis Cup, and the top players are still going to say, yeah, you know, it doesn't fit our schedule. We still don't want to do it right. anyways. The difference between five and three sets doesn't matter to us. I think that's a huge possibility. I don't think this is going to solve the problem of top players skipping Davis Cup. I think we're still going to see the same guys play Davis Cup, and now they're just going to play less of it. And, uh, you know, this this is a huge step in the wrong direction, in my opinion. And it's also going to be a step that's tough to reverse. It's hard when you go from five sets mm-hmm. to three sets to then go, oh, we made a mistake. Now we need to go back to five. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're going to be stuck with three sets for the foreseeable future. So um, very disappointing decision from the Davis Cup. I completely agree. And, and, you know, I love Davis Cup for what it is. And like you, uh, give me more tennis, not not less or watered-down version. And for me, you know, if, if one of your top two or three guys don't want to play Davis Cup, I've always looked at it as an opportunity for someone to potentially have a career moment uh, to, to take the court and represent their nation 
to to play Davis Cup tennis, uh, to even be a hitting partner, to have that whole experience. That to me is what Davis Cup is all about. And I'm not not just talking about you know the World Group. I'm talking about you know the second or third groups uh, where we've got you know Morocco playing, Nigeria, things like that. That's those are career moments for guys that we we have not heard of, might not ever hear of, and for them to get a win uh, or for their nation to host live tennis where you know they don't necessarily have a tour stop tour event maybe not even challenger that you know if we dig down deeper you and i get that uh i know a lot of other people get it as well but it's it's too bad that uh it, it's all going to be uh in my opinion watered down destroyed lessened cheapened i can keep going with the thesaurus here but that's uh i'm i i'll just end it as i'm, I'm absolutely disgusted yeah, yeah, no, it's really disappointing. I think you and I, in particular, are both big fans of Davis Cup. Um, you know, as fans of tennis, we see Davis Cup as an important part of tennis. And so that's why both of us hate to see these changes um, because this is something that we've really enjoyed. Uh, Davis Cup didn't need to go reinvent itself. I, I really thought it was good where it was at. Um, you know, maybe it, was, it wasn't exactly the golden age of Davis Cup right now, um, but that was fine, you know, the, you're not going to always have a, a golden age all the time. And, and a little bit of a lull for a couple of years is not a reason to then go back and destroy the whole thing. Um, yeah, it's just hugely disappointing. Yeah, I completely agree. And um, Jared, as I shared with you before we came on air, I am eagerly looking forward to uh, picking up John McEnroe's new book uh, over the weekend and uh, probably sitting down with that and reading it cover to cover in in one or two uh, segments, if you will. And uh, as we talked about, look forward to uh, sharing some of the sound bites, if you will, uh, that McEnroe uh, has has listed in his book. Um, Yeah, really looking forward to that book. Obviously, the the biggest sound bite uh, with McEnroe, uh, talking a little bit about Serena Williams. We're not going to get into that detail now. I'll I'll save that, if you will, for... uh, half a dozen other uh, bits but on, on McEnroe book. Yeah, no, it'll be an interesting thing to talk about. Uh, McEnroe is such an interesting person because obviously he's one of, when you talk about the all-time greats, everyone puts John McEnroe inside their top ten. He is one of the best players of all time and uh, one of the great sports personalities. And um, I think he he's really helped keep American tennis on the sports map in, in the United States um, just because Outside of tennis, everyone still knows who John McEnroe is, um, and he's really helped tennis with its visibility. And so because of that, every time he says something, people are going to pay attention. It's become an interesting thing where he, he does know a lot about tennis. At the same time, you know, compared to people like you and myself, he knows very little about tennis where, you know, he's Jill Mueller, some uh, journeyman who's been playing in the minor <laughs> leagues his whole career. Oh, no. Jill Mueller is a very talented player, and and for the serious tennis fans, you're kind of frustrated by the things John Magro says in commentary. Where how do you not know who guys are like this? Mm-hmm. Um, you clearly don't pay attention outside of the four grand slams, but at the same time, he's a huge part of tennis in America. And um, so yeah, it's a tough thing. You know, what do you do with a guy like John McEnroe who doesn't know much beyond the big four about tennis? Um, but is still such a huge part of tennis in America. Um, I, I really wish he would just spend more time um, kind of following the sport if he's going to be consistently talking about the sport, because we do want him to talk about the sport. He really does 
help tennis as a sport as a whole. Um, but he just says some weird things because a lot of times he's not paying attention to, to tennis except during the four grand slams. I agree. It's almost like in a Super Bowl where if there's a safety, they kind of have to explain what just happened because there's a lot of novice people that watch one football game a year and they don't quite understand. Uh, you and I and a lot of the people that uh, we know in the tennis industry know the ins and outs of tennis. And uh, But at the same point in time, that the casual fan that's flipping the dial uh, is going to be tuning into Wimbledon. And uh, uh, they've Probably don't know anybody else in the booth, but they sure as heck know who John McEnroe is, and they're going to listen to what he has to say. Even though you and I can be rightfully critical on, on what he says, other people are just going to listen to every word he has to say, and that is tennis for them in the United States uh, because John McEnroe said it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great way to put it. And so, yeah, it's an interesting situation we find ourselves in at LB. I'm very excited to hear your insights on the book um, about in a week from now. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, very good. So on behalf of Jared Pine, this is Pete Zebron. We've got uh, Wimbledon qualifying wrapping up, uh, tournament in Eastbourne, tournament in Turkey as well, and guess what, Jared? Uh, we are going to have Wimbledon underway on Monday of next week, and uh, happy 4th of July to you, and we look forward to the next show on Replay the Point. Good night. Good night.